0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Basic, um, Chapter Three of the Hebrew Letter. I keep saying the Hebrew Letter because the it, it is indeed the writing was for the Christians that had been that were Hebrew people that were scattered not only in Palestine but around the world at that time in the 1st century A.D. and this was uh, for them in particular but uh, and it was the the letter was intended to elevate and get them to understand that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the Messiah of God (coughs) and how superior he is to the things that they had thought before Um, now they all had great respect for the the anointed one the uh, promised messiah and and that but now that it was a reality many were struggling with the the changes that had come upon the jewish uh, people uh, concerning the lord jesus christ and that's what this letter was written and of course within it the Gentile nations us even we get a real insight into the Hebrew mind, the thinking of the Hebrews concerning the things of God so I, I think it's a real blessing in that way in that way rather um, in this chapter Jesus Christ is, is proclaimed to be the apostle of and High Priest of God. Now those are two very important uh, subjects, which sets Jesus apart from, from every being in all creation as preeminent, but even though, still, by the writing in this letter, being obedient to the Father in Heaven, and Let's think about these words. Of Jesus Christ as an apostle. Now, apostle of who? Apostle of God. One sent, and then high priest. He's a high priest to the Christian world. Uh, in John, uh, the Gospel of John, thirteen, verse sixteen. We read this. Verily, verily, uh, and as a matter of fact, this is Jesus speaking Himself. Verily, verily, I say to you, the bondman is not greater than his Lord, nor the one sent greater than he who has sent him. Now, that's quite a statement, isn't it? It kind of works against some of the concept uh, of the, uh, the world of Christendom and their thinking. Um, but you have to understand that the Son of God always defers to his Father. And that's, that's the case here. It's Jesus that was sent by the Father. And Jesus makes it clear the one, uh, the one sent is not greater than the one who has sent him. Now, I think there's a parallel here. The parallel is to do with what we, we know about headship. Headship in the world that, that we live in. In uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11, verse verse 3 Okay it says this But I wish you to know that Christ is the head of every man but woman's head is the man and Christ's head is God Now that's the headship that is the, the, the headship that God has established. We people have not established this. We read it, we believe it, and we should be in, in uh, conformed to it. That's how it is. That's God's will. And so it is. Uh, whether it's understood or, or anyone uh, cares to admit it, it's still the truth. It's headship understood. And so the letter to the Hebrews is teaching much in this vein. Elevating Jesus to the place he belongs for us to understand. Is Jesus not our mediator? Jesus is our advocate. He is our mediator. There is one mediator between God and man the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's my introduction. Now, let's get into the passage here. Christ, uh, you saw in the outline, Christ is superior to Moses in a number of ways. are we picking on Moses here? No. But the Hebrews need to understand as great a man as Moses was, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, The Messiah is superior to him for the Jewish people. Christ is superior to Moses first in his office. Let's look at uh, chapter uh, 3 verse 1 and 2. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider the apostle and chief priest or high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Being steadfast to him who did appoint him, as also Moses in all his house. All right, let's look at this. There's words here that are important. The word partakers. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. That's the Christian. What is a partaker? In the Greek it means this. First off, voluntary partaker. Your decision. Your decision to be a partaker. You're not dragged into it, but it's your decision. It's voluntary according to a man's own free will, not by any sort of... of, uh, being conformed to by another person or by a group or by even a church organization. They can't compel you to become a Christian. They can't tell you you're not a Christian. Only you are the one that is the partaker, voluntary. An apostle is one sin. But the one sent is not greater than the one sending out. A high priest is a mediator between Father, between the Father and mankind, in this case, the church, Jesus our Lord. Uh, that's 1 John, uh, First John, the first chapter. He is our advocate. That's why we pray in his name. We ask Jesus to pray the Father to forgive us. And honor it goes. Our profession is equal to what? The faith. The faith in Christ, the gospel of Christ. Uh, that's what they're speaking of. Um, and that's what they're understanding, and that's their position. Lastly, the idea of steadfast. Being steadfast to him is here is, is talking about Jesus. Now we're to be steadfast too, but In this verse 2, it's talking about Jesus. Christ was steadfast. He was also one in purpose and nature with his Father. Jesus said, the Father and I are one. And he meant what he said. Not that they're the same entity, but that they're one in purpose and nature. All of these are attributes of the Son of God that show clearly that he is worthy of praise and adoration from those in his assembly. He is preeminent in the body. That's what the Bible teaches. And uh, you know there's no room for being when you're number one, when you're preeminent there's no room for anyone else to be preeminent. And that's the idea of Christianity. We are to, uh, we are to remember our, our Lord and Savior and his Father that is in heaven. Now, Christ is also superior to Moses in his ministry. In other words, his work. Christ is also superior in this fact. In this faction, Uh, let's look at verses three through six in this chapter. See what it says. For of more glory than Moses hath, this one being counted worthy, inasmuch as more honor than the house hath he who doth build it. For every house is by someone, and he who uh, the all things did build is God. And Moses indeed was steadfast in all his house as an attendant for a testimony of those things that were to be spoken. Now when were the things that were to be spoken? It It was in the last days of the first covenant people. That's what we need to understand. Moses laid the groundwork and told the people everything about what was to come. Read Deuteronomy. It's all in there. Verse 6. And Christ as a son over his house, whose house are we, Christians, if the boldness and the rejoicing of the hope unto the end we hold fast. All right let's consider these verses just a minute now the builder and this is the concept that we know but we don't talk about too much but the builder is greater than those living in the building in, in the sense of the building being important if you, if you understand that um not everybody can, can build. Some people have to use the things that are built or made. And many times that, that's who we are. The builders are greater. And that's the teaching here. Of course, the, the, the big teaching is that God is the builder of all. So He is greater than all? But God has given all that he has built. And made Jesus the head of it. Christ Jesus has been given more glory than Moses because the house of Moses, he was an attendant of. He was God's representative amongst them, amongst the, the nearly three million individuals and many animals and all that traveled through the wilderness for 40 years. Moses was God's man there. And that was an important job. And they were to respect him. When Remember when his sister Miriam and others were talking poorly of Moses. And she was made a leper for that. Just because she spoke poorly of Moses. Moses. God considered that a personal affront to him that Moses was being spoken poorly of even by his sister. So this is what we need to understand. Moses had a, a very important thing that, that he did. and He was the attendant of it, the, in, in charge and the leader of it that is far, far inferior to the household of God. The temple in the Lord and the habitation of God in spirit. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Put it in, in the words of the Bible a little bit better said than I said. Ephesians two eighteen through 22. Through him, we have the access, we both, in one spirit unto the Father. Therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the saints and of the household of God, being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together doth increase to the holy sanctuary in the Lord, in whom also you are builded together for a habitation of God in spirit. I don't believe the definite article is there. But the word habitation means where you, where you are, where you live. Where the family is. That's the habitation. Do you believe that the Lord's church is, is where God is? It's where God lives. God lives amongst his people. His son is there. The saints are there. That's why this is such an important concept for the Hebrews of that day and everyone ever since Christ as the son is over the house of God that is the assemblies of Jesus Christ but for us personally only if we remain we personally remain steadfast will we remain there for time without end What we do affects our future. Uh, it doesn't affect the future of, of the kingdom of God, but it affects our future in the kingdom of God. Our personal responsibility towards ourself and towards our God. Finally, Christ is superior to Moses in his reward. What was there a reward from Moses and those that, that he was the leader of? Yes. There was a reward of what? The promised land. You know, the land of milk and honey. A land for the people. Their, their land for as long as they serve God. That was their reward, and it was a good reward. It pales to the reward we have in Christ. now Christ is superior to Moses in his reward Uh, for the the new covenant in Christ is better than the old covenant it teaches that in Hebrews we'll get to that in a while because it, it has better promises that's what it says in the Bible better promises for the new covenant than the old the old had good promises very good the well, has better promises. We need to be able to understand about those two covenants. Now the first section is talking about the covenant under Moses. Uh, the, uh, the first covenant as we call it. Um, the promise of Abraham. That's uh, Hebrews uh, 3, 7 through 13. And it begins, It says this, Wherefore as the Holy Spirit saith, Today if his voice you may hear, you may not harden your hearts as in the provocation. Now the provocation was the the the, the four years in the wilderness of the of the children of Israel uh, as Moses led them. A time of provocation, in other words, they, they were <laughs> Now, what you call obedient people to their to their Creator, and they hardened their hearts in the provocation, in the day of the temptation in the wilderness. In verse nine, God is is speaking here. In which tempt me did your fathers? They did test me, and saw my works forty years. We're talking about the, the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness here, how the people and put God to the test, uh, to their undoing, by the way, and their murmuring, and their displeasure. Before it was over, only the young people, only the, the ones that were uh, born in the wilderness ever got to go into the promised land also Joshua and Caleb because they were faithful to God as as the two as the spies that went in and came back and said we can take the land you know even Moses didn't get to go because he forgot his place for a second so this is what's being talked about here Verse 10, wherefore I, that is God, was grieved with that generation and said, always do they go astray in heart, and these have not known my ways, or they just don't care. Most times they're more concerned with their self. Verse 11, so I swear in my anger if they shall enter into my rest. Now this is the exhortation. The next two verses are the exhortation from the apostle that wrote this letter. See, brethren, lest there shall be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in the failing away from the living God. But exhort ye one another every day while... The today is called that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of the sin. As those under Moses provoke God through their unbelief and hardness of heart and deceit, the admonition here from the writer of Hebrews is that the church does not fall into the same practice. Because the problem is, it brings an end to the promise we have in Christ. As it brought an end to the promise they had under Moses, if they were unbelieving and rebellious, they did not get to enter into God's rest, as he called it. Christians must, must remember that they do not do, need to do or they should not do as they did matter of fact in uh, I believe it's 1st Corinthians or 2nd Corinthians 1st Corinthians I believe the apostle Paul says that the account of the rebellion of the Hebrews towards God is there for us to see and to never do ourselves. Paraphrasing that. And then verses 14 through 19, to finish off the chapter, we read this. We'll have the word partakers there coming again. For partakers we have become of the Christ, if the beginning of the confidence unto the end we may hold fast. It is being said today, If his voice you may hear, you may not harden your hearts as in the provocation. For certain, having heard, did provoke, but not all who did come out of Egypt through Moses, but with whom he was grieved 40 years. Well, it was with those, was it not with those who did sin, whose carcass in the wilderness. You see, those that sinned and rebelled against God and were unbelieving and, and unfaithful died in the wilderness, never seeing the promised land. Is that a warning to you? I, I mean, I take it pretty, pretty personal. I can see that. This is what happens to us if we will not Uh, if we will not consider the power of God and love him and serve him as he wants. Verse 18 "And And to whom did he swear that they shall not enter into his rest except to those who did not believe. It wasn't the ones that did believe that suffered. It wasn't the ones that were faithful. It was only those that were unfaithful and unbelieving. And we see that they were not able to enter in because of unbelief. Because of unbelief. You know, this is exactly the position that men and women are in when they reject the gospel of Christ in the last 2,000 years nearly. Reject the gospel? Reject God's Offer to mankind for salvation, for reconciliation back to him. To live in his family as a citizen of the kingdom, if you will. If you reject the gospel, what do we expect? You expect to, your carcass to fall in the wilderness and to not enter in. It's as simple as that. How do we know that God isn't going to just let everybody into heaven? Because he he has not did it before. And he said so. You know, when God says something in the scripture, we can take it very, very seriously and know that it will be accomplished. You know, we like to talk about God keeping his promises when there's something that we like or we want. But what it has to do with us paying for something, or if we reject him, that he'll reject us, that we don't like. We want him to give in on that one. He won't do it. So in verse 14, 14 is the key to this to the assemblies of Christ, the Christians. We are the partakers, the voluntary partakers in Christ. And the second idea is our fidelity to the Lord must not waver or become less than our first love. Our first love is of God and of his son Jesus Christ. He will not settle for second or third or anything in any other order than first. Now, I've always said to many people that have a hard time with that, is that if if you'll give God first place, if you'll give the, the Son of God first place, you'll never have any trouble with your love for other people and other things. It will follow. And I think you'll be believed. It is those who grieve the Lord that have not uh, and um, it is those who grieve the Lord that have sinned. That was a sin to grieve the Lord. To murmur against him, to mumble, to complain. Those people did not enter God's rest. They died in the wilderness. Today, the unbelievers and the unfaithful will perish in another way, according to Scripture. In utter darkness, separated from God for time without end. So, why do we care? We care because we don't want people to live to live a life that comes to that. We, we care because we want them to Experience the the love that there is in God's kingdom. And if God is love, then His kingdom is love. But would we say that God doesn't love if He says something He will do and then He doesn't do it? On either side, either reward or punishment. You see, that, that's, around, that's what our society is trying to tell us. But the answer is according to the situation. In other words, the truth might not be the truth in every situation. But friends, we know that's not, not, it's not correct. We know that, that really that doesn't work. You try to live that way and you'll find yourself in a, a complete, total agony of life. You can't live that way. Truth has to be truth. So when God says something, we know it to be true, whether it be promise, reward, or punishment for for rejecting him. That's what the Hebrews needed to understand. But they already knew that. They knew the account of Moses. They knew the account in the wilderness. They knew what God had done through the years. They knew also of the great reward there was in having faith in God, in loving their God, in serving their God, in being obedient to their God, just as the church knows that obedience to God's terms of pardon and the words of the apostles and the teachings for life in the kingdom. If we are, if we conform ourselves to them. God's promises will come; otherwise, they won't. I don't know how to say it any better, any more, any more clear. But here's the thing: it's a personal thing. It's it's between you and God. It's you're the one. That's why I love that that word, partakers. We say we are partaking of Christ. That's voluntary. And believe me, you'll you'll be rewarded for your voluntary partaking of the ways of God. Those would be my words today. Let us have our song of invitation and consideration.